uh, text. I'm going to put it up here on the screen for you. I preach from the New Living Translation, so if it's a little bit different from what you see in your Bible, that's okay. I'm not making up words. It's just use a different translation, the New Living Translation. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, I'd love to give you one, so find me after service. We'll make sure that happens. All right. Uh, there was a little girl. She was four years old. She lived in the city, but her grandparents lived on the farm, and one summer she was spending some time with her grandparents on the farm, and it was shortly after the cows had been AI'd. I'm not going to go into any more detail. You know what that means, okay? And so the veterinarian was there, and he was doing pregnancy checks, and every time that a cow would be pregnant, he would say, call it good. And he'd move the cow along and send another one in there. Call it good. Call it good. Well, the little girl started out and she was fascinated. And uh, the, the grandpa explained, well, every time the veterinarian says call it good, it means that there's a baby cow in the mom cow's belly. And so she thought that was pretty cool. But as time went on and she kept hearing call it good, she got a little frustrated. And the grandpa noticed this, that her, her frustration level was rising, and so uh, as time passes and the girl gets angrier, he starts paying more attention to her and her reactions than he is to his success ratios, which are important to him as a farmer. And, and he's noticing that this girl is getting really, really mad, and finally, call it good, she'd had enough. And she says, that's it, I can't take it anymore, Grandpa. And he goes, what? What's going on? You know, he's, he's having a pretty good day. And she goes, every time, every time that mean man finds a baby in the mom cow's belly, he names it good. Well, it's not going to happen anymore. That cow's name is Princess Elsa. <laughs> Isn't it funny how two people can see the same event with different eyes? Different people can see the same event with different eyes. Sometimes it's just a question of age. You give that four-year-old girl a few more years, and, and she's going to begin to see the farming operation with the same eyes that her grandpa has. Success rates are going to be more important, and when she hears, call it good, she will be pleased, not angry. Sometimes uh, it, it's a question of age, right? We, we see that little girl on the farm, or let's say there's a child, about the same age, and what do they want to do? They want to stay up really late watching movies and eating all of the candy. Well, as they grow a little bit and maybe have their own children, their attitude towards such behaviors is going to change a little bit. And sometimes it's a question of age. Other times it's a question of spiritual maturity. Why is it that there are two people that will suffer very similar events? One person becomes bitter and the other person becomes better. It's a question of spiritual maturity. Why is it that two people will see the same homeless person and one feels compassion and the other contempt? It's a question of spiritual maturity. We can all see the same event with very different eyes. In the text that we're going to be looking at today, Jesus has this event and two different groups see it with dramatically different eyes. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. And then there's a couple lessons I want us to learn from this text today. So Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple. 
Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, he left everything, and he followed Jesus. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor, and many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with such scum? And Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners and need to repent. Let's start with Jesus inviting Levi to follow him. Jesus says, follow me and be my disciple. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. No matter what profession you're in, there is a top of the food chain for where you would study to be in that profession. Uh, If you want to be a lawyer, I did some research this week, the top-ranked law school by whatever uh, standard it is, I I know I'm not going to try and offend any lawyers, okay? I know you went to different schools, but uh, the one that is at the the top of whatever um, arbitrary system they use, the top law school is Harvard. I'm not personally a fan of some of their products, but Harvard Law School is where you want to go. If you want to be in business and get an MBA, the top-ranked MBA program is the University of Pennsylvania. If you want to be a doctor, Johns Hopkins is the top-ranked school. If you want to work for the State Department, it is Georgetown University. If you want to make movies, it's the University of Southern California. If you want to be an engineer, where do you go? That's fine. I was going to say MIT, but whatever. (laughs) No matter what you do, there's always a top of the food chain for where you would study. And the same was true in Jesus' day. If you wanted to be a religious leader, the best you could hope for was to find a rabbi or a teacher and become his disciple to go where he would go, to follow him, not, not metaphorically. Sometimes when we say, I'm going to follow you, right, we mean that in a metaphorical sense. They meant it literally. I'm going to follow you. You're walking that way, I'm walking that way. You're going that way, I'm going that way. Oh, you're talking with those people, I'm going to talk with those people. You're not talking to those people, I'm not talking to those people. The best you could hope for if you wanted to be a teacher or a religious scholar was to find a rabbi and follow them. So what does Jesus say to Levi, the tax collector? He says, follow me and be my disciple. This is a big deal. This is a big deal for Levi, but there are two things that are odd about this. First of all, Levi is too old. Levi is too old. Jewish boys started their official religious education at the age of six. It was called Bet Sefer. And they would go to their local synagogue, and by the time they turned 10, what they needed to be able to do was recite the entire Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. They had from age 6 to age 10 to memorize the entire Pentateuch. And if they did that, if they passed that, then they could move on to Bet Talmud. 
Again, this was at their local synagogue. At this stage, the boys would learn more advanced interpretation skills, and they would memorize large chunks of the Old Testament. All right, not just the first five books, they would memorize many books. It wasn't uncommon for the brightest students to have all of the manuscripts of the Old Testament that they had available to them memorized by the time that they graduated Bet Talmud. This was four years of, or this was four years of intense schooling. This time sifted out those who could handle it and those who couldn't. And if you couldn't memorize large chunks of text, if you couldn't handle intense interpretation, you were weeded out. But if you made it, then you could go into the last stage of training. The last stage of training, and this one was called, um, I can't remember what I've called it. <laughs> Where's my notes? Uh, at that, you would... You'd have the opportunity to uh, interview with the rabbi, essentially, and uh, you, could, you could have the opportunity for the rabbi to say, follow me. Uh, the Hebrew words, lech akarai, mean come, follow me. At that point, you've entered the highest level of training for uh, a religious student. At this point, they'd say goodbye to your parents, say goodbye to your friends, you'd leave everything you had, and you would follow this rabbi. Jesus says, follow me and be my disciple. Bet Midrash is the name of the last stage of training. Jesus said to him, and so Levi got up, he left everything, and he followed him. <coughs> now interact with me a little bit. Does that sound at all like that process? Because it sounds like it to me. They say, uh, follow me, leave everything you've got and follow me, Lek akarai. come and follow me. What does Jesus say to Levi? Come and follow me. I believe that Luke wanted us to think of this process of Bet Midrash. But Luke also wants his readers to remember that Jesus doesn't do things the way that they've always been done. Here's what I mean. You remember what happened, or maybe you don't, I didn't tell you. You know what would happen if somebody didn't make the cut after Bet Talmud? If they couldn't memorize large chunks of the Old Testament? If they couldn't uh, handle advanced interpretation techniques? You know what they would do? The rabbis would say, well, sorry about your luck, go get a job. And they would become a fisherman or a farmer, they'd work in the market, or maybe they might even become a tax collector. Do you know what Levi is? He's a tax collector. Do you know what that means? It means that Levi has already been deemed inadequate. No rabbi in Israel would even consider him. Levi is in the rabbinic junkyard. But Jesus wasn't like any other rabbi, and so he said, come, follow me. It makes me wonder... It makes me wonder if you are seeing the potential that God sees in you. Levi saw himself as junkyard scrap metal and Jesus said, you're going to change the world. Levi saw himself as perfectly ordinary and God said, you're going to tell my story to everyone who ever lives. Levi thought he had the wrong brain, but Jesus knew he had the right heart. I'm just wondering if you see the potential that God sees in you. 
Maybe you feel looked over. Maybe you feel like you're not the best looking, not the strongest, not the smartest. Can I just remind you that King David felt exactly the same way? His dad didn't even bring him in when Samuel came to pick a new king from his house. He brought in all of his other brothers. He didn't even bring in David. He said, you just take care of the sheep. You're not going to be king. This one's smarter. This one's better looking. This one's stronger. You're not going to be king. See, Because man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. I don't know if you feel looked over, not good enough, or inadequate. Can I just remind you that God sees more potential in you than you see in yourself? Levi was in the rabbinic junkyard, and he knew he was. He knew he wasn't going to be able to make it as a priest. You know how I know Levi knew? Because he was a tax collector. He got a job. He got a job outside of religious education. But here's the thing about this particular profession. It's got a little bit of a stigma associated with it. You know who tax collectors worked for? Go ahead and just shout it out if you know. They worked for the Romans. Do you know how popular the Romans were at that time? They were persona non grata. You're not welcome here, but you're a big powerful nation and we can't kick you out, so we're just going to deal with you. The tax collectors were Jews who worked for the Romans. This was a betrayal of the highest order. Tax collectors were Jewish men who took money from their own people. Now let me, just, let me just do this here real quick. How many of you, by show of hands, when you hear the words IRS, have a positive first thought? First thought positive? No? You're just scared to raise your hand in church? Is that what it is? No. Now, now don't be too hard on our friends at the Internal Revenue Service. They're not bad people. They've just got a tough job. Ancient tax collectors were in many cases very bad people. Here's the way it worked. A tax collector paid the Romans up front for the right to collect taxes in a specific city. So the Romans would designate a price, the tax collector would pay it, and then they would go about making their money back. So let's do it this way. Let's say the Romans said it cost $100 to collect taxes in Salem. And my friend, the tax collector, oh, I don't know, Mike Cox, says, all right, here's your $100. And he pays the $100 to the Romans, and he sets about making his money. Now, Mike's a smart guy. I know you guys knew this about Mike, but he's a smart guy. And so he said, I'm going to need to charge every person $1 to make my money back. So here's what I'm going to do. I've got to put food on my table. I'm going to charge every person $1.10 so that I can make a living doing that. That's fair, right? Everybody say yes. Okay, good, good, good. So uh, Mike's over here. He's charging $1.10. But one day, Mike has an epiphany. He says, now, nobody's watching me. Nobody's keeping track of how much I'm charging. I wonder if instead of a dollar ten, I could charge everybody two dollars. So he does. 
Mike starts to make a fair amount of money at this tax collecting business. And then uh, another day, he's been at this for a couple of years now. Um, Mike's doing all right now. Okay? He's driving his Bentley and he pulls up to his tax collector booth and he says, You know, I, I could really use a new mansion. These other three just aren't cutting it for me. I wonder if I could charge everybody $3. And all of a sudden, these tax collectors are bleeding the people dry. You see, in many instances, a tax collector was unethical. But in every instance, they were despised. That's who Jesus is talking to. And it was shocking. It was shocking that he said, follow me and be my disciple. Jesus said to a man who was too old, who wasn't good enough, and who was a traitor, follow me and be my disciple. Here's what you need to know. Your past doesn't disqualify you from God's future. I don't know what you've done in your past. I don't know if you've cheated anybody. I don't know if you've wronged anybody. I know that you've sinned. And I don't know what degree you've sinned to. I don't know who you've hurt along the way. But I do know that your past doesn't disqualify you from God's future. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty good news. Levi thought it was good news too. And so he got up, he left everything, and he followed Jesus. And with the understanding that his past didn't disqualify him from God's future, Levi decided that it was time to celebrate, and so he threw a feast. This is where the table comes in, by the way. This is our sermon series, At the Table. We haven't talked about a table yet. It's time for the table now. Okay? Uh, Levi throws a feast to celebrate. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor, and many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. Remember in our first sermon, we talked about a man who hosted a great banquet and he, all, he invited all of his friends. He invited his rich friends. He invited people who could afford to buy 10 oxen. I don't know how much that cost, but I guarantee you I couldn't afford that. All right? He invited a man who was able to buy a new field. Okay? I don't know if you know this, but they're not making any more land. It usually goes at a premium. He invited a man who could afford to get married. Not everybody could do that in the ancient world. He, this rich man invited his social equals. And when they couldn't come, then he invited the poor, the lame, the crippled, and the blind. And that was significant because in the ancient world, sharing a table, sitting at someone's table, means your equals. means your equals. I view you as equal to me. And the evidence of that is we're sitting around the table together. Now that was true in the ancient world socially. It was also true spiritually. It was also true spiritually. A religious person would never invite a tax collector to his table. Never. He'd never do it. He'd say, equal? You're not my equal. And a religious person would never accept the invitation of a tax collector to sit at their table. We're not equals. We've heard that before, right? We're not equals. And if we're being honest with ourselves, we've probably thought that before too. Equals. We're not equals. 
But here Jesus sits at the table of Levi, the tax collector, with all of Levi's tax-collecting buddies and the kinds of people who would eat with the tax collector. Now, when we read this story, we have this tendency to say, well, see, not everybody at the table was a tax collector. The text specifically says that. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests. Our tendency is to say not everybody at the table is a tax collector. He probably had some respectable friends too. No. No. Everybody at the table is the kind of person who would eat with a tax collector. Remember, sharing a table means you're equals. So somebody who has a respectable profession isn't going to be sitting at Levi's table. These are people who do unwholesome things for a living. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Let's get back to the big picture here. Jesus is eating dinner with these sinners and tax collectors. Can you picture who sits where? Jesus is eating dinner with sinners and tax collectors. How'd they all get there? Levi invited them. The first thing that Levi did when he encountered Jesus was to introduce all of his friends to him. In the Gospel of Luke, the table has a strong meaning. It was powerful because the people who sat around a table were equal. To invite somebody to sit at your table meant that you thought of them as equal to you. But it meant more than just sitting around and sitting down and having a meal. It was symbolic of sharing your life with someone. If you were willing to have someone come to your table, there's not a whole bunch that you wouldn't share. Right? Your credit card, sure. Your toothbrush, maybe. But your table, never. The idea of sitting at a table really means sharing life together. Could it be, could it be that we might be able to introduce people to Jesus by sharing life with them? Absolutely. Absolutely. And while sharing your life with someone means a whole lot more than just sitting at a table, a table isn't a bad place to start. So I want to challenge you with something. We did this a few years ago, and I want to do it again. Over the next month, I want you to invite somebody to your table. I want you to invite somebody to your table. Maybe it's somebody you don't know very well. Maybe it's somebody you don't know at all. I want you to invite somebody over and share a meal with them. Guarantee you, you'll get to know them a little bit by the end of dinner. Maybe you don't know their name. That's okay. Ask me for an introduction. I'll introduce you, okay? But I want you over the course of this next month to share a meal with somebody. And we're going to have some fun with it. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be posting some different uh, recipes and conversation tips on Facebook. Okay, so be sure to check in there. Uh, but have somebody over for dinner over the course of this next month. All right? I think it'll be fun. I think you'll be better for it. Levi hosted a banquet where he introduced all of his friends to Jesus. And it's easy for us to look at it and say, that's amazing. That's incredible. Good for you, Levi. You met Jesus and he changed your life immediately. But the Pharisees saw it with different eyes. The religious men, the ones who had been through Bet Sefer and Bet Talmud and Bet Midrash, the men who studied God the most, saw this table with vastly different eyes. The Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with such scum. 
know what's going on here? The Pharisees, the ones who had studied God so much, the ones who had devoted their entire lives to studying God, They'd been through Betzefer, Talmud, and Midrash. They had devoted their whole lives to learning the things that please God. They had forgotten that the thing that pleases God the most is people. And the Pharisees closed themselves off from people who didn't do the things that they do. Daryl Box says it this way. He says, the Pharisees prefer a level of quarantine from sinners. They'd made a mistake that each of us is capable of making. They confused their knowledge with righteousness. They confused their knowledge with righteousness. They had a lot of knowledge, but they were missing God's heart for people. Here's the warning for us. The moment that we forget our need for forgiveness, we're in trouble. The moment we forget our need for forgiveness, we're in trouble. Now, don't misunderstand me, okay? Uh, Bible knowledge is important here. We will always emphasize it. We have got some major league level Bible teachers here, all right? And I am grateful to learn and study under these men and women, okay? They are excellent Bible teachers. We always want to emphasize growing. In regard to our knowledge of the Bible, but if the only thing we ever do with the Bible is show off how much we know in here, we might as well close our book and go to McDonald's. If what we know about the Bible doesn't change the way we feel about people, we are missing the point. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And so our warning that we need to heed from this is the moment we forget our need for forgiveness, we're in trouble. Until his death in 2015, Fred Craddock was an internationally regarded scholar in the field of preaching. And he told a story once of when he and his wife were on vacation. They visited a church on Sunday morning. He said, my wife and I were on vacation. We were having a lovely time. And we'd looked at a few churches the day before, and we'd settled on this one to attend. And when we arrived, we immediately felt a somber atmosphere over the entire congregation. It affected the song service. It affected the Lord's Supper. It affected everything about that service that day. And as the preacher got up to preach, we learned why. The night before, there was a large gathering at the church celebrating the completion of a year-long Bible study in the Gospel of Matthew. That's a pretty neat event, right? They'd studied the Gospel of Matthew for a whole year, and they had a big dinner together to celebrate that fact. During the meal, a homeless man came, and he knocked on the gym door, and a couple of the class members answered and asked if they could help. The man said, I'm hungry, and it's, it's cold out here, it's just... Just wondering if I might come in and have dinner with you guys. Well, the class kind of glanced back inside at the festive atmosphere that they had, and, and they were hesitant. They didn't want this guy to cast a shadow on their festivities and celebration. And, and so they said, hey, just hold on a second. Just, just hold on. And they, they grabbed one of, the, one of the, the leaders in the church that was there at the party, and they kind of huddle up, and they decide, well, what do we what do we do? I mean, we invite him in. He's going to kill the moon. What, what do we do? So they decide, 
We'll get them a plate. We'll fix them up a nice plate, huge, heaping it on, pile it up, and then we'll hand it. So they give them the plate, and they take it to the door, and they say, here, here you go. And they put on their, their forced smiles. And the man, he said, I don't want that. No thanks. And he walked away. The next morning, as the preacher came to unlock the church, he'd found that the man had died on the front steps of the church that night. And instead of preaching his normal sermon that day, the preacher tried his best to honor that man's life without knowing anything about him. And then he took the gloves off and announced to the church that they had failed that man. He taught from Matthew 24, and he said again and again, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you naked and not clothe you? Lord, when did we see you clothed? When did we see you, Lord? And after the service... Craddock and his wife decided that it would be best to just slip out unnoticed as the congregation had many wounds to heal through. And as they tried to, a man in the pew directly behind them stopped as they rose and he said, you guys just visiting today? Yeah, we're, we're on vacation. I suspect you know that story the preacher told is true. Yeah, it's, it's very tragic. I'm, I'm real sorry. Well... The way I got it figured is God helps those who help themselves. You all have a nice day now. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples and said, why do you eat and drink with such scum? The Pharisees prefer a level of quarantine from sinners, but Jesus... Jesus prefers to aim for the recovery of a sinner. Jesus answered, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come not to call those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners and need to repent. I read this passage the first time, something bothered me. Jesus said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Is he saying the Pharisees are healthy? Because it sure didn't look that way to me. No, he's saying the Pharisees think they're healthy. The Pharisees think they are healthy. I've come not to call those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners and need to repent. We've got two options. We can think we're righteous, or we can know we're sinners. The one who knows he's a sinner is the closest to health. The one who knows he's a sinner is the closest to health. Let me illustrate it this way. Two people have the flu. One says, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. He was a guy. The other person says, I am sick. Good grief. I am sick. I need to go see the doctor. Which one's going to get better quicker? The one who acknowledges he's sick. I don't know how you came here today. Maybe you feel like a sinner. Can I tell you that Jesus came and sat at tables with sinners like you and me? And Jesus loves sinners like you and me? And can I tell you that Jesus died to rescue sinners like you and me? Or maybe you're here today and you've been redeemed for many years. I'm awful grateful for you. And I love learning from you. I'm grateful for the salvation that we've been given by God. But can I warn you about something? The longer we've been redeemed, the easier it is to have less compassion for those who are lost in sin. 
We never say it, but the longer we spend as Christians around Christians, the easier it is for our hearts to say, God helps those who help themselves. The longer we've been redeemed, the easier it is to look around and say, we got a pretty good thing going here. No need to invite sinners and tax collectors in here. Here's a warning for us. When we start reacting with our preferences first and our Bibles second, we're in trouble. When we start reacting with our preferences first and our Bibles second, we're in trouble. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, he left everything, and he followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. And many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law, they looked and they complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. And they said, why do you eat and drink with such scum? And Jesus answered, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come not to call those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners and need to repent. I want to leave you with three things this morning. First is this. Your past, it doesn't disqualify you from God's future. Second thing, when we forget our need for forgiveness, we're in trouble. Here's the last one. When we start reacting with our preferences first and our Bible second, we're in trouble. Isn't it funny how two different people can see the same event with entirely different eyes? Let's pray. God, we both, or we all spend time like Levi the tax collector. We do the wrong thing and we know we're doing the wrong thing. And we all spend time like the Pharisees when we think we're doing the right thing and we just feel like we're good. Would you please forgive us of both? Would you please forgive our sinfulness, our selfishness, and our self-centeredness? Would you please help us to remember people, all kinds of people, sinners and saints, the ones that you came and lived and died for, would you help us to have a heart for people who are running from you? Would you help us to have a heart for people who are redeemed by you? And would you continually help us to take the right next step in our faith so that each of us can look more like Jesus? We pray this in our Savior's name. Amen.